If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we do have Bibles available um, in the back foyer on the table or over on this side table. If you need one to keep, you're welcome to get one of those Bibles, write your name on it, keep it. And even if you know somebody who needs a Bible, you're welcome to take those Bibles and give them away. That's what they're there for. I had somebody this week say, I've got a friend who's got all these questions and he really needs a Bible. He's interested in, in the um, Bibles that you, we use. Can, can I give one? I said, yeah, take, take as many as you need to give to whoever you can. We'll buy more. That's what they're there for. We never want to stop. So whether we're buying canned food to give away or buying the word of God to give away, these are things that we are called to do. And if you need a Bible, please grab one of those Bibles, keep it. It's yours. Read it because God wants to declare who he is to you and what he's done and what he's calling you to. And, and that's where we are as we come through First Peter. This is a book written to early Christians who had come to faith in Jesus and a result, as a result of the same things that we're talking about and reading about and singing about in this service the early Christians were persecuted for that. They were tortured and some of them killed as a result of the very same things that we're doing here this morning. And so Peter is writing to them a letter to encourage them again about who Jesus is, how great God is, and then also what that calls us to as believers. Now, once we come to faith, something has occurred in our hearts that should come out and there should be, there should be a way that we live that's different. It's kind of like this. Um, when I was a kid, and I, I love that I'm seeing this now in my kids, but when I was a kid, I'd go into the kitchen and I'd find all kinds of stuff that my mom had in the cupboard, spices and liquids, and I would drag it all out onto the counter. I'd begin to mix things, and I just thought I was a, a crazy chemist in the kitchen, and now my kids are doing that. But w- one of my favorite things that I love, I still love to do this, and I do this in the, in the clothes washer too, um, is I take out the vinegar and I take out the baking soda and I combine those things, Right? And I love even still doing that in the clothes washer. I'll have some, I'll put some baking soda in there and then I'll, I'll pour in the, the vinegar. And as it goes, you could just, you see, because you know that when you put the vinegar with the baking soda, there's going to be what? There's going to be a reaction. There's going to be bubbles. There's going to be, you know, in a kid's mind, it's like, ah, oh, it's like an explosion. We love that. And, and what's interesting is you have a great, good God who's done a good work. And then he comes to you and he's done something in your heart. So when you combine those two things, a good God who's done something in you, there should be a reaction all the time. If you came to vinegar and baking soda and put them together and nothing happened, you'd say one of those two things is not right. And the same should be true with a good God who's done a work in your heart. There should be a reaction. If there is not a reaction, then one of those two things is not right. Either God is not good or nothing's happened in you. Now, let me tell you a secret. God is always good. And so the opposite, the other thing is you have to question, did God actually do something in you? If he's done something in you, if you are a believer, then you're going to see a reaction like what Peter's saying. It's putting together God and the work he's done in you. There's the reaction of living out your life the way Christ has you to. And it looks like this. Peter's going to tell us what that looks like within a community this morning. We are in first Peter chapter four, verse seven. This is kind of the reaction that's coming out. It says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter says, hey, the end is coming. We've always known that. And the more we live, the closer it's getting. And I think around the world, we're seeing today that it's getting closer and closer and closer by the minute. I mean, this, this world is about to pop and Jesus is about to come back and, and destroy his enemies. It's going to be over. And so Peter says, because you know the end is coming near, 
You need to be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. What, what is he talking about in that? Well, we think about sober-minded, we think about keeping sober, sober, and immediately we think of not drinking, not drinking too much alcohol. And, and this isn't a de- declaration to say, don't drink alcohol, don't get... Uh, but he says, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be drunk. You should have control of your mind. But he's not just talking about alcohol. And he's not just talking about substances. He's talking about anything which might overtake your mind and your heart to be carried away so that you can't pay attention to what you should. So it might not just be alcohol. It might be emotions. Some of us get so emotionally involved with what's going on in our life. We can't see clearly. How many of you, when you've been driving, everything was fine until that guy cut you off? And then as a result of all those emotions, you're just going to go cut him off or whatever it is. It's funny how emotions can overtake us. So our mind cannot think straight anymore. Sometimes maybe it's not emotions. Maybe it's just the fact that we're easily arrogant. Our pride takes over. And so we're no longer looking at things the way God sees. We're just thinking with a mind that's not overtaken with alcohol. It's overtaken with pride. And so there's a whole number of things that could make our mind not function the way it's supposed to. And most of those things end up thinking not about God and not about other people properly and just thinking about ourselves improperly. And as we get closer to the end, it's important to see the things the way that God sees them. In fact, let me read from Second Timothy. This is a description of how the, the majority of people will be, their mindset will be just before Jesus comes back. He says this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for this is the description of people for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So Paul tells Timothy, that's what it's going to look like at the end. And now Peter's telling the church, you better guard your mind for the sake of your prayers, because we can't act like all the other people. There has been a reaction that's happened in you, and you need to pray the way that God is asking you to pray. So how then what should we pray? If this is for the sake of our prayers, what should our prayers look like? I would encourage you, if you can, to go through the scripture and read the prayers of the saints, whether it's in the Old Testament, like Daniel in chapter nine, when he's praying his guts out on behalf of the people of Israel for forgiveness, or whether it's in the New Testament church, when everything was sometimes seemingly collapsing around him, but they stop in prayer. And you'll find that the prayers of people in the Bible were focused on this God. They were so consumed with who he was. They would usually start. I'm like, you are the creator of the universe. And so I know that you've got control over all this. And then they would go on and pray for other people. It was a very selfless, very humble, very outgoing prayer opportunity. First focused on God and then on the things of others. But if we're not self-controlled and sober of mind and carried away with our own conceit, just like the world is, we're not going to pray that way. And a lot of times the Lord will say these things in the midst of the Bible to wake people up. You need to wake up because the end is coming. If we're not woken up, we might be slumbering and then not praying correctly. It kind of reminds me of the man who had fallen asleep in church. He would always fall asleep in church. And always at the end of the service, the pastor would call on somebody to pray, just like we do often here. And so the man had fallen asleep in church and his buddy decided that day he was going to play a joke on him. So in the middle of the pastor's sermon... The friend 
elbowed the sleeping guy and said, hey, the pastor just asked you to pray. In the middle of the pastor's sermon, that man rose out of his seat and just began praying. He was unaware of what was going on. He actually interrupted the gospel. Why? Because he was slumbering. He was sleeping. He didn't have his mind about him. And we are to be a church that's not slumbering or sleeping. We should have control over our mind, control over our emotions by God doing that for us and then praying, knowing that he's the good God and he wants us to use our prayers for the concern of those around us. Should we pray for what's in our life too? Yes. But God in this reaction is say, be mindful of what's going on around you. Don't be like the others who are conceited and proud and selfish and lovers of money and it's all about them. Be about what God's about. Be about what God's about. So first thing that the reaction should be, we should be praying for others. We should be praying with the right mind. It's prayer, prayer. And then we go to verse eight. Above all, that seems like this next one's going to be important. <laughs> Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So first it said, pray, keep your mind about you and pray. And then this one says, above all, you need to be loving. And it uses some words in there to qualify this. It doesn't just say love when it feels convenient. Love when the person's lovable. But actually, we used a word in there that says, keep loving them and do it earnestly like you mean it. And the words that are being expressed there, some of it means fervently, keep loving fervently, and just have a zealousness of love for people. But this needs to go on and on and on. And the word that's being used there to keep doing this means this, to stretch it. Sometimes you know that the people that you are called to love, they're not attractive. They might even smell bad. They might not even know how to use Johnson County language. But those are the people that you might need to really stretch to love. It is a stretch. To love people all the time in the way that God loves them. It really is. But that is what we are called to as God's people. We are called to stretch that love, to go further in our love for for other people and to keep that going. Because it says here, love covers a multitude of sins. There's this false idea sometimes that at the moment that we come into the church, that no one's going to be mean anymore, that no one's going to hurt anybody anymore. Sometimes people will say, I am leaving this church because I was so hurt. And now I'm going to go over to this other church where I haven't experienced that hurt. It's going to be better. The reality is in that church, there's going to be hurt too. Raise your hand for me if you've ever been hurt by somebody in the church. Be honest. Little or small. I'm not just talking this church, any church. You've been hurt by somebody in the church. I think if we are honest at some time in some way, we've all been hurt. Now, I won't make you raise your hand on this one. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever hurt somebody in the church? Maybe even not intentionally, but you just did it. See, that happens. We actually sin against each other a lot. How many of you, we won't even talk about that. How many of you in your own household this morning, before you ever came to church and put on the, the makeup and the smiling face and a good handshake, before you got here with your family, there was already sin going on and you were at each other's throats and there was just, you know what? Life is messy. Relationships are messy. Even in the church, even in godly families, relationships are hard. We are going to hurt each other. We're going to sin against each other. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. And you know what? Our love needs to be stretched so far by what God has given us in the capacity to love through Jesus that that would cover the sin that we're doing amongst one another. Now, this is not what it's saying. 
When it says love covers a multitude of sins, it's not saying that we take and lift up a rug and sweep them all under and ignore anything that's ever happened. We should be dealing with those things. But what it's calling us to is the word covered there is also used in the way that God covers our sin. You know, when he takes our sin and, and we've addressed it to him and we're like, here's, here's my sin, you know what he does? By the blood of Jesus, he blots it out. He covers it so that it's not seen anymore. That was put on Jesus. And so when somebody comes to us, we ask forgiveness. We're actually supposed to blot that out. We're supposed to cover it. It's not there anymore. There's forgiveness there. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago at Bible study, but it's just been so good for me to just kind of, kind of think on it for the sake of forgiveness and, and what that means in the midst of a, of a life. Uh, our family was on, on, on Friday nights. A lot of times we have family movie night or family game night. And this particular night we were watching Cinderella, not, not the old cartoon. It was actually a newer one Disney had done where it was real life people, actors. And so it, it's, it's, the, it's the same old Cinderella story that we know where this girl was suddenly thrust into the control of an evil stepmother and her and her stepsisters who were just awful to her, constantly making her do all the chores and, and really wretched towards her in the way they spoke to her. And, and then there comes the ball. And, and, and Cinderella um, makes her way to the ball, having been put together by the fairy godmother. And she gets there and falls in love with Prince Charming. And she comes home and, and just remembering this, this great night. And, but she comes home to this really wretched situation, really awful, where they're, they're just, they're gross relationally. I mean, they've just been... So abusive to her. And so finally, the prince sends his messengers because he, he wants to find out who this, this mysterious girl is who fit in the glass slipper. And they finally arrive at Cinderella's house and, and she's hidden for a while. And they're trying on the glass slippers and it, it doesn't fit the feet of the stepsisters. And then finally, Cinderella gets her chance and the, the slipper fits. And so the, the, the closing scene there was, was Cinderella, arm in arm with Prince Charming, headed out the door of the house. The house that was in shambles for her life. It was just wreckage. It was awful. There was this evil stepmom. And as she's leaving the house, she turns around and she sees the stepmom coming down the flight of stairs. And as you're watching the movie, I don't, for me, I was watching and I was, just, I was just waiting for Cinderella to tell that stepmother off. Just... Just whatever words would come out of my mouth and she would just fire away about how mean she was and wicked she was and how much she hurt her and how she wanted her to go to somewhere. <laughs> Can't say that in a Disney movie, but that's that's what you feel for her. Like something offensive has happened to her. She has every right to just speak her mind. And you know what Cinderella turns around and says without without her stepmom even asking, she says. I forgive you. And she turned around and she, she walked out the door. And, and what was striking to me about that was, was her just, that was a stretch. That was, that was have, love having to go out and, and go. But, but I keep thinking about the fact that she was able to go on and live her life without carrying the baggage of bitterness. In the process of forgiving it, it not only covered the sin of her stepmother, but also freed her to go and live, as Disney says, happily ever after in the church when we continue to harbor these sins and things against one another if we don't forgive if we don't stretch that love and cover the sins then we just carry that with us we get bogged down it's actually taking us towards the world not towards christ likeness and so we are to stretch that love we are to 
to love one another in such a way that that would be what represents us is this, this ongoing love that covers a multitude of sins. And you know what? That's hard. But that's what we've been called to as God's people. That's the reaction that should be coming. So first, we have prayer. This reaction should have prayer in our life. Second is loving others within the church. Third is this. Verse 9 says, showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. Showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, This church has great opportunities to show hospitality. They've shown me hospitality. um, And and yet we're called to an even greater sense of hospitality. Because let me tell you about this word, hospitality. Um, The word here, hospitality, means to welcome strangers. Now, once I get involved with that definition, it makes it a little bit harder because the people that 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 you we like to invite into our homes, to invite into our lives, to invite into these spaces that we have, whether relationally or or literal literal uh, spaces, we like to invite people that we know. We've taken time to vet them and to make sure that that we know what they're about. But God actually calls calls us to welcome strangers, people that we don't know that well, people that are unknown to us in in a lot of ways that we are to invite them in it's it's not always a call to um, safely vet them but to say god's love needs to extend to them and when we have hospitality what it is is an opportunity for us to create a space that we invite somebody into so that they can see god's love in that space and so we immediately think of hospitality and 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 just so you know it's related to the word hospital to the word hostel like a hotel and to host. So all those things kind of go together. Can you imagine that the places that you invite people into and showing the hospitality might actually be a hospital for somebody's soul? I think it's no mistake that Jesus, even though he didn't have his own home, often found opportunities where there was a space and food was involved to have a great conversation about his love and his grace and what he calls people to. And you and your resources, you have that opportunity to welcome strangers without grumbling into a space that you would have to show God's love to them, to share the gospel with them. You have homes that the Lord has provided for you. And a lot of you have invited people to your to your homes. And I would encourage you to continue to do that and to stretch yourself in that love to maybe seek out somebody that you don't know very well. Maybe it's a neighbor that you don't know very well, but God's put them on your heart. Maybe it's somebody in this congregation that that you just say, you know what? I don't know them very well. And a good way to maybe show them God's love. I'm going to invite them over for Sunday dinner. Let me extend um, my my table, my food that God's provided in to this person's life. I want to encourage you to just continue to pressing into that way without grumbling, because I think God has shown us by his example that that's a great way to show his love to people. Now, it doesn't just extend to our homes. I want you to consider the other spaces that God's given you to create opportunities to invite people to. So um, that would include the pew that you're sitting on. For some of you, your mindset is, that's my pew. Um, none of this is ours. You, you might happen to sit there every week. And if you do, I want you to consider who might be sitting around you, in front and behind you. And if, if this is a space that the Lord's given you to sit today, then how can you be hospitable to maybe guests or maybe somebody you don't know? And, and it's so easy in the midst of our conversations before or after church to turn and quickly go to the people that we know best and are comfortable speaking to and just get on talking again. 
But I think in welcoming guests, it also calls us into the ones around us that maybe we don't know as well to go and, and to speak to them and get out of your comfort zone a little bit and see how you might share God's love with them in that space. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's your space. Um, maybe it's on a team. Maybe your space isn't a house. It's not a pew. You're actually on a team. Playing basketball, playing softball, and that's your space, but that's your place to actually welcome the new player who's come. Or maybe the guy who's had a bad batting day, um, and you get to welcome that person into that space and, and just, just love on them somehow. Maybe at Bible Diggers, you've been coming to Bible Diggers for, for a couple years now, and now the, a, a new kid has showed up, and they're a guest into our church, into our Bible Diggers program, and you get the opportunity to welcome them in. And, and it might say, you know what, to my other friends, I'm, I'm going to go over here and say hi to this person. And, and, and you don't know what's going to happen, but see, there's all these different places and venues that we have to to be hospitable and and let's continue to i i know that i've been shown hospitality in some huge ways i remember one time i was traveling down in mexico and uh my cousin who's a missionary was was uh, taking me around meeting people that he was ministering to we went to this one village they they didn't even really have a road it was more like just a muddy trough in the middle of the houses and this this old woman who could who could barely walk she invites us into this almost mud-like hut it was just this little dark damp place and she sat us at her dining room table i'd never met this woman she had no reason to 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 like me in any way i was probably annoying more than anything i couldn't speak her language I didn't dress like her. I probably had more money in my wallet than she's ever seen in her life. And yet she invited me in and gave me the last of her beans. And she made me the, the best drink that that community knew uh, as a way of saying this is special. It was made from cornmeal and fermented orange juice. And it was gross. But she welcomed me as a guest. She had no idea who I was. And she said, would you come eat at my table? There was so little of it. There was none even there for her. And we tried to say, we can't. I, I tried to say, my, my cousin said, you have to. If you leave this table and if you reject her beans, you reject her. But she has opened up her house to you. And of course, as we left, there was an opportunity to 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 help fund her and and that sort of thing but man i was just so blown away by this woman who had never met me probably an arrogant american christian coming down there and she said here's my table here's my beans and here's a special drink and that's the type of beautiful hospitality we get to do and so we pray for others we love and forgive others we welcome others and then finally in verse 10 it says this as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So, so when you become a believer and God saves you, he forgives you, he also puts his Holy Spirit to live inside you. And one of the great um, benefits of that is every person who's a believer in Jesus Christ and is saved and has that Holy Spirit is also given a spiritual gift or gifts. Some people have multiples. And those gifts are meant to serve other people to build them up towards Jesus and in Jesus. 
And so this is saying if, if you've, there's various gifts and if you've been given a gift, then, then you need to be using that. You need to serve one another because you're a steward of that gift. It's been given to you and you're, you're to give it away. And they usually fall into one of two categories. Either it's a, a gift that you speak, so you're either preaching, teaching, exhorting, encouraging, something like that, or you're doing. It's a doing gift. So maybe you're, you're serving in a way or giving in a way or, or um, ha- showing mercy in a way. And so you're either speaking or doing. And so it says if you're getting one of these gifts, then use it. Go after it. Use it in the church. If it's lying dormant, you got to wonder whether there's been a reaction, whether those two things have been present, that God's been good and whether he's actually done a work in you. If he's done a work in you and you have a spiritual gift present in your life, but it's lying dormant among the people of God. It's not only robbing the people that you could be ministering to, it's actually a disgrace to your Lord. Because it says here, look what it, look what it says. It says um, in verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so if you have been given a gift. If you've been called to speak, then then you're called to speak the words of God, not your own opinions and not your own things, but speak what God gives you to speak in one of those various ways. If you've been called to serve, then you're to serve with all the energy and, and gusto that God gives you to serve other people. And you know what? When you do that. It is not only such a blessing to the other people who are re- hearing and receiving and being built up in Jesus Christ, but when the church functions like that, it brings glory to God. There is a reaction that is happening within the church that it can only be done by God working in his church. And when that reaction happens, God stands back and says, that is a beautiful thing. It brings me glory to see myself at work in the people of God. Look at that. It's awesome. And when you do what God has called you to, it is a blessing to others. And there there begins these processes of of people being dragged towards Jesus. Their faith is grown. They are led to be um, to draw closer to Jesus, to go serve their community. And that happens as you use your gift. And so you've been called to pray for others. You've been called to love others. You've been called to welcome others. You've been called to to serve and to speak to others using your gift. But the great thing about these things is that each and every one of us in Christ have experienced those four things towards us. I guarantee you. It may not happen as much and as often as you want among the people of God through them. But but first of all, I want to let you know that it has happened to you to a great greater degree. First of all, because Jesus Christ has done all those things towards us. Think about those things. We can't do those things apart from God. And all those things have been done towards us first. Jesus, it says, prays for us. The scripture says that he is our intercessor, that that he prays for us to the father. How great is that? He's not just praying for himself all the time. Jesus is praying for you. So cool. And then it says that he loves us. He literally stretched out his arms And was crucified to love us. And then he stretched out his heart and forgave us. Despite the fact that I was more wretched than Cinderella's stepmother towards him. How good has he been to love us? 
And he's been so hospitable to us that one of the, the main ways that he allows us to worship and understand his love for us is he spreads a table called communion. We took that last, uh, uh, was it last week, a couple weeks ago? We have the, the, the bread and the juice, and it reminds us of, of what he's done. And he's saying, I'm, I'm serving you at the table. Partake of this. And God puts food on your table every day. He's constantly providing and being hospitable to you. And then he calls you into his family and into his kingdom. He's so hospitable to us. And then Jesus has given us so many times a good word. Have you ever been there and you've just been so down or discouraged or you've been heading in the wrong direction and suddenly the Lord will bring a scripture to you? Or maybe he'll have the spirit of God say something to you in your heart and it'll just be like, wham! And it pulls you out of that place of discouragement. It pulls you from being in a place of sin. It pulls you out of being all about yourself and puts you back on track about being about him. And he speaks to you. Or how about the times that he served you? He went out of his way to provide for you. He's clothed you. He he, he, he gives you breath in the morning. You step outside your house and you you look outside and you see that sunrise. And he's just like. I love you. And so he's spoken and and served you in those ways. So so all these things that we see, there's this reaction, but it. It doesn't just happen in the church on its own. It's all because Jesus did it first. And then he supplies what's needed for his church to do every one of those things, to pray, to love, to welcome, and to serve one another using the gifts of God. And if ever we should question God, we just go and understand he did all those things for us. And the good thing about Jesus doing all those things for us, that's the good news of the gospel. It says God did that, not so we would just wander away and, and finally off, go off to hell. Because you know what? As, as odd as it would have been for us to say that Cinderella said that to her stepmom, God would be completely justified if he looked at all the people in the world and told them, go to hell. As stunning as that is to hear it from the preacher's mouth. It'd be true and right and just for God to say that to all the sinners. But in God's good love, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And he stretched that love and his forgiveness and his service and his goodness. And he he sends it to us in this good word and says, believe in me. I want to do something in you. Would you trust me? Would you let me forgive you? And the moment you say, Lord, please save me. Forgive me. He does it. He does it. And so instead of him coming to you and saying, go to hell, you know what it says? It says he comes to you and says, be mine. Come home with me. Watch me work in your life. See how much I love you. See how much I've forgiven you. And then he says, now go and show that to the world. I've done it for you. Go show that to the world. This morning, if you find yourself in a place not knowing God's love, you've never said, Lord, save me. Today would be a great day to do that because you know what? The reality of scripture says we don't know the day that Jesus is coming back when it'll be too late. Or we don't know what's going to happen when you're going down that country road and there's an oncoming car that's going in the wrong lane. 
You don't know if you're going to get another chance to cry out to Almighty God, save me. So make that your opportunity now to call upon the Lord, maybe for the first time. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've cried out to him, but you've kind of gotten like the reaction, you don't see it happening anymore, and, and you know exactly why. Maybe it's something that's happening in you. Maybe it's just the Lord just need then come and say, Lord, here's my life. Would you, would you put me back on track? You're so good, and I know you've done something in me. Then, Lord, let there be these reactions to happen. I know that I need to stretch my love. I know that I need to be praying the way you want me to pray, to, to be hospitable and to serve. And so, Lord, would you... Help me in those things. So I'm going to give you a chance this morning as we sing and close out this service. And, and it's an opportunity for you to just cry out to the Lord, save me. And then also to say, Lord, would you use me? Would you use me in your body? Would you use me in this world to be a demonstration of Jesus Christ, that great love that God has had for me to also be extended then to those around me? This morning, I'm going to invite you to stand together. And, and if the Lord would call you to himself, maybe if you want to come and pray at the front, that's fine. If you just need to pray where you're at, that's fine too. Or if you need to grab your person next to you and pray with them, do that as well. But as we sing today, let's not just sing as thinking that that kind of reaction, just singing a song is what makes God happy. It's what initiates in your heart that overflows into song and into prayer that God is looking for. So let's give them our hearts this morning.